Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We offer, or we always ask, please download the app, the Veritas app, so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And hey, if you like what Joe and I do, uh, social media, YouTube, the Frontline TV, primarily. Uh, we're approaching, uh, we're approaching 100,000 subscribers, which is really good. I think we're at around 85 right now, so it's growing. And on Twitter, at with Joe and Joe at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Uh, please follow us there. So uh, today we're very pleased and honored to be joined by Father John Bartunek. And we're discussing his new book, 40 Days, 40 Days, sounds like Lent, uh, 40 Days to Peace and Union with God, A Journey in Prayer Through the Daily Gospels. You know, Joe Resinello, we say we go into the breach all the time. For a lot of people, prayer is going into the breach. It's not, not as easy as just sitting down, uh, gathering your thoughts, a lot of distraction. Uh, you know, nowadays in America, it's kind of hard to clear your head, contemplate Christ, contemplate the, the 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 mysteries of the Rosary, contemplate the Gospel. So we're happy to have Father Bartunik on uh, to kind of help us through that a little bit. Um, you know, all us Catholics out there that that need help with our prayer. So we thank Father for coming on. Quick uh, introduction: Father John Bartunek received his BA in History from Stanford University in 1990. He comes from an evangelical Christian background and became a member of the Catholic Church in 1991. After college, he worked as a high school history teacher, drama director, and baseball coach. He spent a year as a professional actor in Chicago before entering the religious congregation of the Legionaries of Christ in 1993. He was ordained a Catholic priest in 2003 and earned his doctorate in moral theology in 2010. He provided spiritual support on the set of Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ while researching the 2005 Catholic bestseller Inside the Passion. He's contributed news commentary regarding religious issues on CNN, Fox, and the BBC. Father John Bartunek, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Oh, so glad to be on the front line. Thanks for having me. You got it. And listen, just uh, FYI, back in the 90s, I thought I wanted to be an actor, too. Um, in, in my heart, I still am, but I kind of I had to move on from that and actually kind of earn a living. So who knows? Maybe God will put me in a movie one day. I, I'm, I'm interested, though. Passion of the Christ. Um, just to ask, uh, are you going to be involved in the sequel? No, not haven't been involved at all. Haven't been in contact with the folks, so I really have no inside info about that. I hope I hope it goes well, though. I mean, I hear they're starting they're starting to film, but yeah, I'm not. I, I haven't been contacted or asked to be involved at all. I'll tell you with the with the first movie, um, I remember there was a lot of anticipation, a lot of controversy. But you know, for us Catholics, there was a lot of anticipation, and, and it was worth the wait. Obviously, The Passion of the Christ was was a powerful, powerful movie. I've never seen anything like that. I think I speak for Joe also. I hear the second one's going to outdo the first one because uh, it goes from it goes through the um, 
the time uh, after the resurrection, resurrection through the ascension. Um, and Mel Gibson's being a little cryptic in his interviews, uh, but he's suggesting it's going to be something that's going to kind of blow our minds. So we're definitely looking forward to that. I hope they call you, Father. <laughs> I hope they call you <laughs> and get you on the set. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. So you, you mentioned about uh, prayer at the beginning. You know, the the one of the reasons that the Passion of the Christ was so powerful was because Mel Gibson, in his own faith journey, he had actually prayed through those Gospels in kind of refining his own hope and his own faith in his life. And so, and that really renewed his relationship with God. And he just kind of put on screen what he had prayed and contemplated. So my hope is that he's been praying and contemplating the resurrection, all the resurrection appearances, so that it can be just as powerful. We'll see. Yeah. Listen, let, let's hope. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to be talking about your book. Um, Joe Rasinello, let me hand it over to you. Father John, we always start with a prayer. Could you lead us in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift of this day and the gift of our faith. We thank you for the gift of the technology by which we have a chance to share our faith and our love for you with all of our listeners. We ask you to bless our time together, our conversation, bless everyone who hears and sees this show. Help us all come closer to Christ through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, you know, I'm glad you mentioned real quick, Joe. I'm glad you mentioned technology. And a lot of, you know, a lot of times in this spiritual battle that we're in, um, technology, social media, all of it kind of like people think have a negative view of it. I'm glad you mentioned that. Technology is a gift. You know, when oh, I yeah. think of the Jesuits who went to Japan and all over the world to, to, to spread the gospel, lost their lives, things like that. They had to go on ships and over land and everything else. God gave us this beautiful gift. Of course, it's going to be abused because we're human, we're fallen, and, you know, gifts get abused all the time. But to, to be able to communicate, even the, the today's conversation, to be able to communicate in the ways we do now and, and spread the gospel and, and witness to Christ and all of it is a beautiful thing. And I just wanted to mention that before we get started that I'm glad you said that. It is a gift that people ought to know it's a gift and they should use it uh, properly as a gift. So thanks for saying that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even make that up. So the the uh, the Second Vatican Council had a little document about uh, the use of te technology, especially communication technology, and the title of the document was uh, the one something Miranda Prosus, like the wonders of what's coming, like a wonderful view of these possibilities that we have. So yeah, I'm 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 completely with you on that one. Absolutely, Joe Rasinella. Father, forty day reference here in the book. Is this a Lenten book? Oh, yeah. It's a Lenten book. It's got uh, it's divided up into uh, kind of chapters, one for each day of Lent. Uh, and the idea is that in this book, you can take the gospel that is that corresponds to this day of each day of Lent and you can dig into it and you can discover what God has to say to you through that gospel passage. So the whole book is designed to be a, a tool that you use for your prayer life to go deeper in your prayer during Lent. Uh, dispel some of the ideas out there, Father, um, about Lent. I mean, I, I think, and I've, I'm guilty of it in my in my life. I used to think of Lent as a diet, an excuse to try to lose 10 pounds, uh, things like that. Some really mundane things. Hey, I'm going to give up chocolate. Um, emphasize for our listeners. Sometimes we, all of us really, but we as Catholics, sometimes we need to have things repeated to us so that it kind of gets through our thick skulls as human beings as to the importance of something, to try to get to the deeper meaning of a thing. And in this case, that thing is Lent. Talk about that with our audience a little bit about what is the proper disposition for us as Catholics towards this, this beautiful time, this beautiful season? Yeah, well, Lent, you have to see Lent in the context of the whole liturgical year. 
the whole rhythm of the liturgical year. Uh, and so there's a parallel between the, the seasons of nature and the seasons of the liturgical year. I mean, God is the author of both of them, right? So the concept is that there's something that's always the same in the rhythm, but there's something that's always new. So think about, you know, think about your favorite tree. I don't know if you have a favorite tree, but, you know, your tree, the tree grows and changes every year. And it goes through the same seasons every year, spring, summer, fall, winter, but it changes, it grows. So it's the same tree, but every year it's a little bit different. And as it grows, it bears more fruit because it's just going through the natural rhythms of growth. The liturgical year is the natural, the natural seasons of rhythm for our spiritual growth. In a liturgical year, we go through all the mysteries of Christ's life and we live them with him through the, you know, what the Holy Spirit does in each of the seasons. So just like in spring, spring kind of happens and something's in the air and the trees and the flowers start to come out and they start to bud. Well, Lent, actually the word Lent comes from an old English word name, which means spring. So it's the beginning, you know, it's, the, it's, it's kind of a, a refreshing of our experience of God's love. It's meant to be as we prepare to celebrate uh, the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. So it's like there's there's special grace in the air during Lent, and our disposition is, hey, I want to kind of put myself, I want to uh, intentionally put myself where I can receive that grace so that I can be renewed and grow again. Uh, and it's, the grace comes through the mysteries that we meditate, that we contemplate during this season, uh, and, and it comes in different ways to different people. So the key is I want to be open to receive those. It's not so much about what am I going to do, uh, but what am I going to do to open myself to receive the grace God wants me uh, to receive so that I can I can grow? It's all about growth, growth and holiness. Sure, sure. Father, Father Bartunek, uh, Father John Bartunek is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his new book, 40 Days to Peace and Union with God. Peace is something not, no, we'll talk about it later on. Peace is something that's not abundant nowadays. So we need to, we need to, we need to pray to peace, uh, a journey in prayer through the Gospels. Now, that's available at Sophia Press. Uh, Father, just to mention, we'll mention it a couple times, uh, where else other than Sophia? We always emphasize to our audience to buy the books from the publishers so we can not only support our authors, but also our, our Catholic publishers. But on a practical level, where, where else can our audience members buy the book? Yeah, well, I think wherever you get your books, it should be out there by now. But uh, that book and all my books, you can find at rcspirituality.org. I even got some online retreats and stuff there, rcspirituality.org. Absolutely. Joe Racinello. Father, I read that this book will instruct the reader to follow the Holy Spirit's uh, path to holiness. I mean, holiness is like one of those words, I think, that the regular guy in the pew is like, what do you mean, holy? You know what I mean? Like, how am I going to be holy? But it's something we all could obtain. Everybody could become holy. And frankly, it's a shame if we miss that opportunity. I also read that the book uh, will help us to encounter the real presence of our Lord. I think this is something that's vital. Right now, the church has the Eucharistic uh, revival going on in America. Very important. And lastly, it'll help us to cultivate our love for neighbor. Love God above all things, love neighbor as ourselves. Talk about that, because I think these are great things. And as you said earlier, this is a tool for Lent and will help people to obtain those things which are in everyone's reach. Yeah, those are, I mean, those are really big topics, each one of those three. Um, I might even forget them as I go. You might have to remind me. No, you go, Father. You got it. <laughs> so, so the thing is, you know, you talk about holiness, like, you can't, there's no, you can't be in heaven if you're not holy. Like holiness is the only requirement for eternal life. 
and it's the only way of being in eternal life. So I think what you said, Joe, you know, when people hear holiness and they say, well, that's not for me, you know, that's for the saints, that's for the nuns, that's for the, you know, when that, I think, I think it's a, it's a trick of the devil. I think it is a way to distract us from the only thing, from what we're created for. Look, holiness is not complicated. Holiness is simply living in communion with God. That's a theological kind of definition, right? And so it's an ongoing thing. It's a pathway. It's a journey. You're holy if you're on the path of grace, of friendship with God, and you're moving in the right direction. St. Paul addressed all his letters, or many of his letters, he addressed, he's writing to the Christians in Corinth or the Christians in Ephesus, and he called them the holy ones, the saints, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints. If we are united to the vine, we are already participating in God's own life. So he who is holy, 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 he's the source of all holiness, we're united with him. So it's that being in relationship with God, being in friendship with God, that's holiness. How do we grow in holiness? That's the most important question to ask, you know, for, for life. Everything we do can help us grow in holiness or not. <laughs> right? so, let me ask you this, though, because yeah. what you said is to be in relationship with God. And I think where people get confused here is to be in relationship with God is to be in relationship with his church. I think people separate the two. You see, holiness to me, I'm a simple person. I come from simple stock, and I believe in the basics. Going to confession, pray the rosary, receive the Eucharist in the state of grace, fast Wednesday and Friday, give alms, read your scripture every day. These are basic things. People were doing that 1,500 years ago. You don't have to go to the Gregorian to do that. And if you do that, you will become holy. But you have to be in union with the church. You see, we have too many voices out there, Father. My father was a barber, and he used to tell me as a kid, you listen to the Pope. He used to say that when I was a kid. Like, that means I'm in union with the church. Like, and everyone's an expert. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying out there? But we have to be in union with the church in order to grow in holiness. Because holiness is not outside of the Catholic church. Like, the, the church is God, and it's the body of Christ. Talk about that, because I think people get confused or yeah. or, per, or do it on purpose. Right, right. Now, I mean, holiness, so if it's communion with God, and we know that the mediator who kind of reestablished the possibility for us as human beings to live in communion, friendship with God, is Jesus Christ. And how does Jesus Christ send his grace into the world? What did he leave us when he, when he ascended into heaven? What did he leave us? Did he leave us a book? No. He left us the church. That's what that's is what that's one of my biggest arguments. God bless them, our evangelical brothers and sisters. That's one of my biggest arguments. Is exactly that. I wish people would get it through. Christ didn't leave us the book. He yeah. left us the church that put the book together and said, "Here, read." Yeah. Go ahead, Father. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're not. You know. So there's there's no lone rangers in Christianity, at least authentic Christianity. You know, we we journey together with the church. You can't baptize yourself. And baptism is the that's that's when you get reconnected to the vine for the first time. You know, you can't, you can't sell, you know, you can't uh, confirm yourself. So the sacraments, which are the most uh, kind of the most direct and the most objective and kind of the full, uh, you know, kind of outpouring of holiness, of grace, uh, they're all with, they're all within the church. So this is a, and they're, they all happen through the church, you know, so you, you need, you need me 
right, as a priest to celebrate the Eucharist and to bring you Christ in the Eucharist, right? Uh, so we need each other. Um, and that that is important. So you, your comment, Joe, earlier, with, there's two virtues involved. So another thing that helps to stay united with God is living virtue, doing what's right, what's truly good, and becoming the kind of person for whom it becomes more and more natural to do what's right and good. So a courageous person is someone who's developed courage, the ability to do what's right even when it's dangerous, even when it's threatening, stepping into the breach, as you mentioned earlier, right? Mm -hmm. So two virtues that have to do with your comment about uh, you know, growing in holiness means staying united with the church and and living, you know, living our lives within the church and contributing to the church. Uh, one is obedience. Obedience is a virtue. How did Jesus reverse the, the original sin? It's through his obedience to his father's will. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He had to wrestle. Obedience is is an important virtue, and the church is one of the ways that we, you know, obeying the teachings of the church, obeying the liturgical norms of the church, obeying the rhythms of the, that there's an obedience, and that puts us right, unites us with Christ against the enemies of Christ, because the enemies of Christ live in disobedience. So we have to be obedient to the church. Uh, remember Jesus said, you know, uh, he, who hears me, he who hears you, hears me, right? He sends, the church is his. He's at work through the church. The Holy Spirit is at work. Uh, and then there was another one, which is related, humility. You know, you were saying how there's so many voices out there and everybody's got an opinion. And, you know, humility is, St. Augustine said, it's the foundation of everything, all the virtues. Humility is simply accepting the truth about God, about myself, about the world, about what God has revealed about the world, accepting the truth. And when we accept it, that means that I don't have I don't have a monopoly on it, you know? I'm actually supposed to be open to and receiving the truth and then adjust my behavior in accordance with the truth. So I think both of those virtues are, are at play in this relationship with the church, which is one of the critical, that's kind of the environment in which our growth of holiness happens, definitely. Ab absolutely. Father John Bartunix joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. 40 days to peace and union with God, a journey in prayer through the Gospels. What's funny, Father, is that um, talking about prayer, so I work at night. All right. So early, early in the morning when my wife and son are waking up, so they kind of like hit me over the head and they're like, come on, let's go. We're going to pray the divine mercy. Right. So I got to wake up for about a half hour, 45 minutes. Then I can go back to sleep. What, but one of the things my wife loves to pray, you know, after the divine mercy, there's a few prayers. She she wants to pray together, the three of us, because we don't have any other time during the week is the litany of humility. And mm -hmm. I, I would recommend the litany of humility to anybody. You know, sometimes, Father, people think that prayer is a snap your fingers, everything's going to be great type of thing. And I was guilty of that in the, in the past. Well, if I pray, everything's going to be fine. Well, it will, okay? But mm. you, you have to open your heart. God's working on you, and, and yet it takes a little time. I'm not the most humble person in the world. I know the litany of humility is helping me. Um, talk about the need to set aside. Again, we're all so distracted because we have these things. You know, Again, the technology is great, but we tend to abuse it sometimes. Um, we have the phones, we have the computers and everything else. We're distracted. Okay. We got the politics, we got the culture war, all of which are important. I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be fighting those battles, but talk about how it's a useless fight unless we're setting aside the necessary time to talk to God, father, son, and Holy spirit to talk to God through prayer. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if we're created in order to be holy, holiness is like the, it's the biblical word for happiness, really. It's God's word for fulfillment, for meaning, holiness, right? So if we're created for that, and you never spend time alone with the God who loves you and created you, 
How are you going to grow in your relationship with him? How's that going to happen? It's as simple as that. If you don't spend time alone with the one who you know loves you, who's given you life, who's accompanying you, who wants you to flourish, who wants you to grow in wisdom, who wants you to be fruitful, who wants you to help build his kingdom, to be a soldier of Christ. You don't spend time alone with him where you speak heart to heart. The relationship is, has no chance to grow. No chance to grow. That's You know, you, know, you mentioned that because I, I, you're, around, you're around the same age as I, and you, you, know, you went to Stanford. You're an accomplished guy. Um, I'm a fairly accomplished person as well. I have accomplished friends. I just say that because in order to do things in this world, you have to work. You have to study. If you're an athlete, you have to run in the morning, rain or shine, lift weights, whatever it is. You coach baseball. You know what I'm talking about. It's the same thing in our prayer life. You see, I don't know if Catholics get that. In life, you get what you put in. It's hmm. the same thing. Like I've learned, like you have to do these things because what I've learned as a father of five um, I can't do what I'm supposed to do if I'm not connected with God. Yeah. I literally cannot do it. I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience. And I've learned um, that I have to build these things into my day. And that requires getting up early. That requires I, – I recently – incorporated going to adoration. I go at five o'clock in the morning on Saturday and five o'clock in the morning on Sunday before my kids get up. And I feel the difference mm -hmm. because of that, because you get in what you put in mm -hmm. like, like, and that's in everything, whether you're an investment banker, whether you're a lawyer or whether you want to live a good life, because we can't do it. As humans, God's grace, and we have to make time. If you don't make time, well, guess what? You're stuck with you. That's the way I look at it. I'm stuck with me, and me doesn't cut it, <laughs> Father. Talk about that, because I think even Catholics that just go to church on Sunday, well, I go to church. That's the bare minimum, yeah, actually, yeah. believe it or not. Sure. Yeah, sure. That's 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 critical. He's, he, the way you would, what described it reminded me of what Jesus said in John 15. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do all kinds of really good things, but not the most important thing. Is that what he said? No. He said, without me, you can do nothing. nothing. See, we don't believe that. He said. I, people right, like who go to Stanford, I'll be honest, and people I work with, they're smart. They've done things. They don't believe that. You say that to them. They're like, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm rich. Yeah. Yeah. I have an MBA from Columbia. I'm rich. What do you mean I can't do nothing? Well, guess what? In 50 years, no one's going to remember you. You're just another rich white guy, to be honest with you, that works in New York City. No one cares. You, No one cares. You've done nothing. But then you take people who have connected to the vine, like, say, Faustina. She had a fourth-grade education. We're still reading her book. She's going to become a doctor of the church, I think. Mm -hmm one day. Um, and I think that's the secret, what you just said. And many times you mentioned humility to stay connected to the vine. It doesn't always make sense. Mm. You see, people sometimes are like, oh, what do you mean? The church, you, you, you don't want to contracept? How many kids do you want? Well, it doesn't matter. It's like Forrest Gump. You told me to do it. So I'm going to do it because I trust you. 
Talk about that, because I think that's missed. Even within the church, Father, the power is in the connection. I don't care, like, how smart you are. The connection, that's where the, that's where it is. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, you know, trust is, is, is a critical element in all of this, because if we're created in order to be holy, we're created so as to live in relationship with God. That's where we find our happiness. That's where all of our relationships get their meaning and get their fruitfulness. Well, what is the currency of intimacy in any relationship? It's trust. The, if someone damages trust, the relationship is on the rocks. If you want to go deeper in your relationship of, of, of friendship, of intimacy, share, you got to trust more. You got to build trust. You got to earn trust. You got to build, right? So when it comes to our relationship with God, yeah, there's going to be things that we don't understand. Like why he permits evil, why he permits corruption, why he permits corruption in the church. He permits a lot of things. There's going to be things that he asks of us that we don't fully understand. There might even be some doctrines that we don't. But we know it's always reasonable to trust in God. Because along with the things that we don't understand, there's plenty that we see. We see the history of the church. We see the fidelity of the church. We see the fact that the church has endured 2,000 years, and in every generation, somebody's trying to destroy it. Every generation. And here it is, still going, right? I'm glad you mentioned Real quick, Father, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I te- I'm one of those guys that tends to get down. When I see all the things that are going on in the church, I get down. I'm not taking sides one way. I'm making a comment on that, okay? But just the... The tension, the fights, the quarrels, all of it. And then I remember to myself, I talk to myself. Maybe I should go see a therapist. But I talk to myself, hey, oh, dude, listen, 80% of the church was Aryan at one point. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> the church is still here. The Aryans are gone. Yeah, we have yeah. to remember these things. I'm glad you said that. In every generation, to one degree or another, the church is going to be under attack. Yeah. But the church is still the church. Go ahead, Father. I cut you off. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And that's so... It's interesting what you just said. You, you talk to yourself. You have to remind yourself of that, right? So he, this is a huge, a huge element of our prayer life that is often overlooked. Prayer isn't just saying prayers. I mean, we can. We can pray the rosary. We can say the Divine Mercy Chaplet. We can, you know, pray our favorite prayers. But there's a whole other form of prayer in our tradition, in the Catholic tradition, just called mental prayer. It's kind of a strange term. It's Christian meditation, basically. And that's a different type of prayer where you don't just you don't say the words and mean the words. What you do is you listen, you allow God to speak, you allow God to remind you of something, something that he's revealed about himself, about the world, about about you. And then you talk to him about it. And by spending time in that type of silent, meditative, uh, contemplative prayer, mental prayer, the truths that we believe that we know that we know up here because we believe them, those truths are nourished and they sink into our hearts and they spread throughout all of our faculties, our soul, so that we become more and more in harmony, the way we live in harmony with those truths. Uh, And that's one of the things that prayer does. Prayer is like exposing ourselves to God's word and God's goodness, like, like laying in the sun. And the sun has its effect on your skin. Well, when we give ourselves... I love, you know, your example of going to to do adoration, just being in God's presence, giving him that time, quietly being with him, allowing his grace and his truth to actually affect my soul, affect my mind and my heart. That's one of the things that this book that we're talking about, um, you know, we put it together in order to help people do that because it is hard. Uh, But yeah. What are those three steps of the book? 
Well, Joe, we Joe, we have to go. We have to go to a break. We we gotta go to a break. Um, and but I just wanted to comment when I was thinking about what Joe said earlier and you know your back and forth is that you know, when you think about okay, you know, making money for your family, providing for your family, you have a duty to do that. There's no question about if you happen to have the talents. Just say you're a brain surgeon and you make a lot of money. Nobody's begrudging you that. But I think what Joe said is important. It's it's a matter of priorities. And at the end of the day, if you're worshiping your bank account, okay, well, remember something. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years from now, people are going to remember Mother Teresa who had nothing. Just like we remember the early martyrs from 2,000 years ago and throughout history who had nothing. Or St. Francis Assisi who had everything. He had the big bank account and then gave that up to go hug some lepers. Okay, Um, so we we need to think about that when, again, we started the conversation talking about holiness. You want to you want to be holy? It's within your grasp. You have to prioritize things. Father John Bartunek is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're so happy to have him. We're talking about his new book, 40 Days to Peace and Union with God, A Journey in Prayer Through the Daily Gospels. That's out from Sophia Press. So you're with us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, the front line with Joe and Joe. Stick around. We have another great segment with Father John. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello. We're way in the breach with Father John Bartunek. We are discussing his new book, 40 Days to Peace and Union with God, A Journey in Prayer Through the Daily Gospels, which is out from Sophia Press. As always, we encourage you to uh, purchase the book from the publisher. So we support not only our Catholic authors, but our Catholic publishers. Joe Rosanello. Father, we were talking about mental prayer. What are the three steps in the book that you give to mental prayer? Because I think mental prayer, people think like, well, what are you talking about? You know, like, you know, I, I say my Hail Mary, I say my Our Father. There's so much there. It's deep. What are those three steps? Yeah. The introduction to this book, uh, I give, give an explanation of what mental prayer is. Uh, and it's, you know, it's really Christian meditation. And and then I give a how-to, how, how can you do it? Um, and the three steps, I mean, you know, you can describe it in a lot of different ways. There's a whole tradition of it. Uh, but in this introduction, we just kind of present it as ready, set, go. There's three steps. Ready, set, go. Ready is you you gotta you gotta create some sacred space, some sacred time in your day, which you reserve just to be alone with God, with the Lord, your creator, <laughs> who's the one who has a plan for your life and a meaning for your life. So getting ready is, you know, if you can do the same time every day, the same place every day. You know, keep your keep your copy or your book you're using for your meditation there. Keep your journal there. I, I remember this one lady had a she had a prayer chair and a little rocking chair near the living room window. And after the kids went off to school, she would go to her prayer chair and have her time alone with the Lord. Right. So getting ready is having that space and that time. And listen, you can experiment. You know, I, I don't want your listeners to think, oh, you know, I tried getting up in, at five o'clock, like Joe said, and it just doesn't work. I can't. Hey, you don't have to do that. You can try something else. You can say, okay, I'm going to take a, uh, I'm going to, you know, before, before, when I get home from work, I'm going to take 15 minutes and just be with the Lord. And then I'm going to go and be with my family. I'm going to have that transition timer. I know one professor uh, who started to do it he, at the bottom. He had a long driveway, um, professor, college professor, and he started to do the prayer at, at the bottom of his driveway. When he come home, he would just park the car. And he knew that he had to be present for his family in a different way than he was present for his research at the university. 
And he said, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord to help me make that transition every day. And he would sometimes it would be five minutes, sometimes 10, sometimes a little longer. He would switch gears and just kind of reconnect with the Lord. So you can experiment, but you got to be ready. You got to get ready. You can't, you know, it's like you got to, you got to create that space in that time. And then the second thing is set. So you initiate your conversation with God. Mental prayer is about a heart to heart conversation in your own words. You listen and you respond. So the set is you just acknowledge his presence. Maybe make an act of faith. Maybe you could use one of your favorite prayers for that, or you pray it on our Father. But the point is, you kind of put your, okay, God is here with me. Lord, I know you're here. I know you love me. Uh, thanks for this day. You can thank him for something. And then you ask for, for what you need, or you ask for something that someone you love needs. Lord, I really need your grace. I want to become more like you. I want to be a holy priest. I need, I need your grace. So that's the set. You kind of turn your attention to God, acknowledge his presence, Ask him for what you need. You thank him for something. And then go. Then you go into the, uh, the, we've got kind of five R's in the go. It's very simple. It's really kind of, you read the passage that you're meditating on. Uh, you reflect on it. You respond to God. What does it stir up in your heart? You know, and then you talk to him about it. And then when you find something that really resonates with you, you just stay there. You rest in it. You kind of just enjoy. It was like, you know, when you see a beautiful sunset, you just enjoy it. And you're meditating on Jesus on the cross, and you, and for some reason, when he forgives the thief, that really strikes you. The beauty of that forgiveness, the strength of it, and you just rest in the beauty of it. And that in itself, you're, as you turn your attention of your heart towards God, then the strength to forgive like that begins to penetrate your heart. And then you finish your, your time when it's time to go. You always finish by making some kind of concrete resolution. Lord, as a result of the time that I've spent with you today— I am going to, I, I'm going to keep track of my temper and I want, I want to forgive like you're going to forgive. And I know I've got a meeting today in which my temper is going to be stoked. I want to be like you, give me the patience. So you make a resolution at the end and it's, it's that simple and you've got it all outlined there. And then the, the book itself is divided into kind of some reflections that can help you do that every day of Lent. Father John Bartunek, I got to tell you, lately, you mentioned, uh, you know, acknowledge God's presence and a, and a number of R's after that. And that's all I've been hearing lately. And I'm saying this in a positive, very, very positive way. I feel like you and others are, are, are doing something. Obviously, you're doing something important. You're spreading the gospel, of course. OK, but you're helping people to start. To, to, to get the sterility out of their prayers. Mm. See, I, we could fall into it. I do think that that's a trap of the devil too, okay? Uh, am I just saying words and saying words and saying words rather than saying, hold it, hold it, okay? Yes, you could just simply swipe up that rosary, go on that couch and go look at your crucifix on the wall and start praying. That's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But how about you just don't worry about work for a second. Don't worry about anything for a second. Don't worry about what you're going to eat tonight. Don't worry about what's for lunch, okay? Why don't you take that second to do what you said, acknowledge, yeah. okay, to reflect on that particular gospel passage. These are ways that are going to help us to do everything we're talking about, which is not, not only to affect the world, which we all would love to do, all right, mm -hmm. um, to, you know, to have a positive impact on society and the world, but also to help us grow in holiness. Sometimes we just have to hit the brakes, you know, and I'm so happy that you and again, I've heard it from others now too. a uh, friend who's a deacon gave me a similar, similar type. Uh, let's call it a formula. I don't mind mm -hmm. calling it a formula. 
step-by-step, step, three-step yeah. process, whatever you want to call it, it's helpful. The reason there's three-step processes is because we need them. They help us <laughs> kind of like, you know, put one foot in front of the other. So thank you so much because I experienced that. I experienced that many times. Sometimes I say, I, oh, I don't want to pray. I don't want to, you know, if I sat down and did what you're saying, okay, and did exactly what you're saying, then I'm going to start looking forward to prayer. Not just feel it's an obligation, but feel like it. Yeah, I need that time. That's that's time with my father. That's yeah. time with Jesus. That's time with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I I just thank you so much because that's so important. I think that's what a lot of people, including myself, from you know again it might be anecdotal, but that's what I hear a lot of people suffer from. They feel like their prayers aren't going everywhere, and you're giving them a, a means by which no 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 they'll know their prayers are are having that intended effect. Your comments on that, Father? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, that you know the the key is to remember that prayer isn't just something I do. Prayer is always there's always it's a way of um, kind of entering into or exercising my relationship with God. And uh, you know when we open ourselves and we just sit with so I mean think about it even you know you have a good friend and you go out for a cup of coffee together. You know, you're not worried about everything else. You're just hanging out with your friend and you're connecting and you're enriching each other by sharing. And that's what Christian prayer is. That's what Christian meditation is. Non-Christian meditation is very different. But Christian, it's having that time. It's hard because it takes faith. So we always, you know, I can't see Jesus across the table the same way I can see you. You know, <laughs> So it takes faith. And our faith needs to be strengthened. And so, you know, and, and so it's sometimes it's a battle, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a battle. I mean, there's, there's so much we could say about prayer. I, I do want to just one thing you mentioned, and then uh, the other Joe also mentioned it earlier, um, you know, how when we form the habit and as we kind of do this and, and we begin our relationship with God really gets nourished and our soul begins to benefit from it. And we notice that we, we behave in a more Christ-like way, even without trying, like we're actually being transformed by his grace then you really do start to enjoy prayer. You, I mean, best hour, best two hours of my day are the first two hours where I spend them alone with God, maybe mm -hmm. finish up with Mass. Sometimes, sometimes Mass is later. I look forward to it every day. Now, I have the privilege of a state of life, which gives me that, you know, that luxury. But, I, you know, you're right. If we, inv if we invest in this, in this type of prayer, and our friendship with God gets out of that sterility and becomes vibrant again, then we actually enjoy spending time with Him. You really do. I'm not making that up. It really happens, and it can happen for everyone. Amen, Father. Joe Racinello. That's the formula to be a saint, Father. Do you go to adoration in the morning? Oh, yeah, every day I go to adoration. Then you're going to become a saint. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm not just saying this, because if I read a book on saints. There's common themes, just mm. like a case study in business school. That's a common theme. People who go to adoration become saints because God radiates his life upon you. He changes you. Talk about en encountering the real presence because I think that's the game changer. Lent's a good time to do that. We could start small, five minutes. I just talked to my brother yesterday. He's away from the church. My suggestion to him, had a conversation. It was a good one. I said, go to a church for five minutes, just go in there in front of the tabernacle and simply say this, I don't believe in you, but I want to. And sit there for five minutes and leave. Go back in another week. Talk about, that's a simple thing. 
But God is real. And once we know that, then we want to go to church. We want to receive the Eucharist. We want to be in the state of grace to receive the Eucharist. It's a tangible feeling. But we have to encourage that because not enough. We all know the Pew study, 30% of Catholics you know, believe in the true presence. The church is acknowledging it. Eucharistic revival, we're happening, we're doing it. But adoration is the way to do that. What's a good way during Lent to encounter the real presence, to, to basically bake that in if you don't believe in it? Yeah, well, uh, the main thing is what you said. God is real. God is real. How do we explain that there's something instead of nothing? You can't explain it, except that we have a creator, we have a God who's real. And we know from the beauty of creation, from all the different experiences from human history, from the magnificence of the human person, we know that God is still at work in the world, right? And that's, you know, kind of to be amazed by that, to allow ourselves to be amazed by that. Now, this God, who Jesus Christ has revealed to us, he's revealed what this God is like, all the religions of the world kind of grope, right? But Jesus actually came and revealed to us, this is what God, this God um, is not a distant God. This is a God who actually created us to live life to the full. So he's really interested in our lives. And he wants to help us to live our lives to the full. So one of the things that he does, he comes, becomes man, enters into the world. And when he ascended back in heaven to complete the offering, uh, you know, of his offering had to be received back to the Father at the ascension. What did he do in the church? He said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep reminding people that I want to be with them wherever they are. So he leaves us the Eucharist, and every tabernacle in the world, Jesus is present. And think about that. Every corner of the world has a tabernacle. And you, wherever you go, whatever nation, whatever continent, whatever, whatever neighborhood, there, and just try to imagine right now, think about all the tabernacles. And what is Jesus doing there? Simply waiting. He wants to be there when we need him. He wants to be there whenever we need. He wants to be as close as possible. So if you have that in mind, I think the advice that you gave, Joe, that's the, that's the best advice. He wants to be close to you, walk down the street, drive down the street, and go and just sit with him. And pour out your heart to him. All the things that are on your mind and heart, just go and pour them out. In that, he, he knows that we live in time and space. So, of course, you can pray to him wherever you are, on a mountaintop, on the ocean side. But he knows that we live in time and space. And so the Eucharist in the tabernacle is Jesus making himself present in this time and this space in a way that appeals to our human nature. We can go there and we can be with him. We have somewhere to go where we're not alone. Um, and, and, you know, to actually go to adoration where the Eucharist is exposed uh, and it's a quiet atmosphere and you can bring, you know, your meditation book and be with him. It's amazing the things that will happen. I mean, I have my own journey, my own experiences with the Eucharist, but remarkable. It's real. The presence is real. Uh, and you'll never regret going to spend time with him. To, to, to kind of accept the gift. Never. The peace no, is absolutely. tangible. Like mm -hmm. I've always said to people, when you go to adoration, the peace is tangible. Like, like, and we all are looking for peace. I mean, our lives are hectic, but when you go into that 
church with the Eucharist exposed, there's almost like a heaviness of peace. That's what I, it's, you could feel it. It's in the air. Um, that's why I know God is real. He's real. And, and that's, I think, the switch we have to turn on to people. They have to turn. It's not just an academic or an intellectual like they te- you tick the box. No, no, no. God is real. Peace is real. Don't tell me that my peace isn't real. I know it's real. I know when I go to confession, the peace I get is real. And we're all looking for peace. This, the problem is the world's looking in the wrong place. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah that, that's the truth. Father, I tell you just a, a, a quick story. Um, I have a foster son, right? When he came to us, he was 12 years old. He's 13 and a half now. And say a prayer for his father. So hopefully the, the, the legal stuff is done and we get to adopt him soon. But we, he's essentially our son. Okay. And when he came to us, he's nominally Christian, had some idea of um of Christ and everything else. My as Joe mentioned about adoration, my wife, every Saturday morning, I'm usually knocked out like a light from having to work late on Friday night, and that's not an excuse. Um, my wife wakes up, goes uh goes to um goes to the church here at one of the local parishes, and she's going to confession. And this little guy, without having to be prompted, okay, at all goes right up my the, the confessionals in the back of the church he goes right up into the front he goes my wife tells me he sits right up in front right there in the front pew right close to jesus and he tells her i want to sit close to christ that's where i ask him for everything because mm-hmm. he's so grateful and everything else all right very level-headed kid they're like you know he's been in the system since he's five and everything else what a beautiful kid joe knows him because i'm in arizona now uh joe you know i was in new jersey up till a year ago out of the mouths of babes mm. is the reason why I'm bringing it up. We Jesus says not to be childish. He says to be childlike. And the reason why I bring up the little guy is he's got that trust that I, 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 I'm guilty of. I, I, I need to increase my trust in Jesus, okay, um, and, and, and trust in there's a plan and a meaning and a purpose to let. I'd love for you to comment on how we need to have that childlike trust to just sit in front of him. And like you said, ask him for the things we need, okay? One of the Sisters of Life told my wife one time, said, ask God for whatever you want because he's rich. He can give you anything, okay? <laughs> ask him, okay? Talk about that. Talk about that That need to be trusting and childlike, uh, especially in light of sitting in front of, you know, in, in the presence of Christ. Yeah, well, there's always a mystery. We can't exhaust God. We can't completely comprehend him. And I think... Um, the Eucharist itself actually it doesn't it doesn't just require this kind of childlike trust, uh, but it actually nourishes it. You know, when you go to adoration and you see the Blessed Sacrament exposed, usually in a beautiful monstrance, it's actually not very dramatic. It's a little white host, quiet, not saying anything, no smoke, no thunder, no lightning. And that's how Jesus chooses to stay among us. Think about that. He chooses to stay among us in a very quiet, silent, in a sense, helpless. I mean, we move him around. We put him in the tabernacle. We take him out. And he's so gentle. He's the all-powerful God, and he wants to be present with us in that way. So he's not. there's no pressure. He's just, he wants to listen he wants to give, he wants to hear, he wants to speak. And so when we make the effort to go and spend time there and we activate our faith, Lord, here you are, you are here, I know you're here, it's calming for us. It's like nourishing our trust in him. 
it's putting things in perspective. You know, we don't have to perform. He's not performing. You know, it's just being with each other. Um, and I think, you know, the, the concept going back to trust, it's a theme that's been coming up throughout our conversation. But when we realize and you think about the same Jesus that I'm at adoring right now, through the centuries, you know, as Joe said, all the saints who've adored that same Jesus, the same Eucharist, Jesus has been present and faithful to his church, to my older brothers and sisters in the faith, and he is present and faithful to me. I'm part of this big story. I'm part of this whole unfolding of salvation history. Puts things in perspective. No wonder you feel peace. Like, yeah, okay, God is God. You know, Napoleon tried to, you know, destroy the church, right? People tried to destroy the Eucharist. You know, the, I mean, today still there's persecution, and yet the priesthood is still here, the Eucharist is still here. God is God, and he reminds us of that. So the trust actually is, it, it brings us there, but then it also is nourished by our being there. You know, it's funny, Father John Bartunic. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I'm glad you mentioned history because I think everybody should know. I mean, there was a time in my life where I was entertaining whether to believe in anything or nothing or this religion. That Obviously, I grew up Catholic in Newark, New Jersey. And one of the main things that, that, that hit me in the head almost like a baseball bat and said, wake up, is what you just mentioned. The church should not be here. Yeah. It should not, by historical human terms and standards, the, the Roman Catholic Church should not exist. If Stalin was right and Nero was right and all you got to do is just kill enough people to destroy something, okay, then the church shouldn't be here. But yet it is. Yeah. And why is it here? Because of what you two were just talking about and, and what we were all just talking about. Because the source and summit of the, of the church's life is that Eucharist. You know, people look all the time and they look out the window. Joe says, how's all that working out for you out there, especially in America? Go look out your window if you want to see how it's working out, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm glad there's a Eucharistic revival. I'm, I'm encouraged of you, a Eucharistic revival because all the people out there, Father, who are looking for political solutions and political science, uh, messiahs, to the problems we have, the solution to our problems is Jesus in that Eucharist. Yeah. Period, exclamation point. And I don't care what anybody says. That's why I said... I got to go back to the Catholic Church. There's no way. There's no way any of any of the others might have rays of truth as the church teaches, but none of them possess the fullness of the truth because this church is still here and it ought not be here. I'd love your comment real quick, Father, before I hand it over to Joe. Yeah, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories from the lives of the saints, St. Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton. You know, she was a Episcopalian uh, and then was a widow. And she, she started her conversion to the Catholic faith began when she started going to to adoration when she was in Italy with the Catholic family she was staying with. And she, write, she writes, uh, she has an entrance in a letter. I think she wrote in a letter. She came back to New York after being in Italy and she would go to her Episcopal church and across the street is the Catholic church. And she says in her letter, she, she would go and she would sit in the side pew right next to the window so that as all the stuff was happening in her church where there was no Eucharist, she would look out the window and she would just find herself longing to be over there where Jesus really was present. And so finally, eventually, after you know, against all the all the social pressure, she was kind of high society, and they were pressuring her not to become Catholic. She ended up taking the long walk across the street and went in and received her first Holy Communion. One of the most beautiful passages in all the the kind of the writings of the saints that I, I remember. Really, very beautiful. What you said reminded me of that. Yeah, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I got to say, I'm uh, Seton Hall Prep, Seton Hall University. There you go. So we, we love, we, we, we love uh, St. Elizabeth and Seton. Joe Resinello. 
Father, in your book, you talk about cultivating uh, a love of neighbor. Now, our faith is not, you know, a ticking of the box. It's not like, say, studying biology or chemistry. You have to apply it. Mm. Um, and we have to love people. Talk about that. Lent's a good time to cultivate that. Because um, you can't do one without the other. We can't say we love God. I think I'm paraphrasing it as only an Italian from Jersey can. John, the book of John says, you know, we we love God who we don't see, we say, but we see our neighbor and we don't love him. That the, the two, that doesn't jive. Talk about that because Lent's the time to cultivate practices where we love our neighbor. Yeah, it's critical. You know, you can't, we talk going back to this whole theme, right, of holiness. If we're going to live in friendship with God, we have to love as he loves. And there's nobody that God doesn't love. There's nobody that God is not glad to see. <laughs> he's always glad to see everyone because he created them. And he's got a place in his mansion in heaven for everyone. And he has a plan for everyone. And each human being get has a unique relationship with God, either actually or potentially, so they can give give glory to God for all eternity in a unique way. Just like you have different flowers and the, the variety of flowers is so remarkable throughout the world. Well, every human being is its own, in a sense, its own species of lover of God. Its own, we're each unique people, right? So that, um, So if we love God, we have to love what he loves and he loves others. You know, I want to talk about that because Mother Teresa used to say, like, if I could see the Lord in the Eucharist, I could see him in other people. And I believe in that. She also used to say, we couldn't do the work if we didn't sit before the Lord. And I believe if you sit before the Lord enough, even the most undesirable people, the worst people, that doesn't mean you like their behavior, but you will see God in them and you'll treat them differently. You see, that's not normal if you want to say that we're not supposed to do that and that's what the sacraments do they raise our humanity someone could hear that say what are you talking about is it magic no it's grace grace is real that's real like how do you embrace a leper how do you care for somebody who has aids and is emaciated how do you do that well you don't do that by human standards you do that by the grace of God. And if we see God in a little wafer, we could see him in a person, even a bad person. And that's not normal, but that's real. That's what the church does. Yeah, yeah. That's the revolution of holiness right there. You know, saints are always revolutionaries because they, they break all the molds, you know, because of that love. They've been transformed. They've been penetrated with the love of God. And so they begin to love as God loves. You know, what you're talking about, seeing God in others, it's also my experience is the it's really hard to describe, but it's you begin to see others as God sees them. And the more that your heart is united to Christ's heart, the more that through your time of prayer and your sacraments, you're being purified of all the self-centeredness and all the blindness of your selfish egoism, then you begin to see others as God sees them. And and you can rejoice in each person without envy, without grasping, without lust. You just actually rejoice in the goodness of each person. You begin to see it more easily without even trying. 
And that's what we want, right? That's We want to see all things as God does. We want to have the eyes of Christ, the mind of Christ, St. Paul talks about. So this type of prayer, adoration, mental prayer, the kind of prayer that you can, you know, that this book is meant to help you with, um, that creates the space for the grace you're talking about to transform us. And gradually, it's a gradual thing. It's like seasons. It grows. We, we become more like him. And it's automatic. It's, it's just easier to, to perceive the good of other people and be enriched by it uh, and rejoice in it. Even people that you might not like, you know, in a, in a, you know, you might not choose them for your roommate, but you begin to appreciate. Uh, right. As you said. Yeah. Father John Bartunix joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We only have about a minute or two left. Uh, the book is 40 Days to Peace and Union with God, A Journey in Prayer Through the Daily Gospels. Please go out and buy it from Sophia Press. Um, quick comment I heard recently. Uh, again, we have to be reminded sometimes, it might sound obvious. Uh, God loves the person that you hate the most. You know, so and, and with a lot of a lot of things going on in the world right now, culture of death, um, you know, just a lot of darkness. Um, again, we said earlier, this is not unlike many times in human history. Um, you know, there's always been periods of darkness. Father, in the last minute, uh, a bit of encouragement for our audience, if you will. And one and, and at the end, one more time where folks could buy the book in the title. Yeah, sure. Well, a bit of encouragement. Well, I just want to share that, you know, as a priest, I'm privileged every day to interact with people and to see, to be able to see, because of the interactions I have, God is at work. God has not abandoned us. God is at work in the midst of all the uh, all the mess and all the problems. He's always at work. He makes everything work. work uh, I, you know, here's another little bit of encouragement. I would really encourage your listeners, remember the difference between your circle of, of influence and your circle of concern. The devil, if he can't make you fall into mortal sin, he wants you to spend all of your mental energy in your circle of concern, which is really, really wide. You're concerned about everything in the world. So if you spend all your time out there, then you're going to have less bandwidth for to actually spend time in your circle of influence where you can actually make a difference. He doesn't want you to work there, right? So you can actually decide whether or not to spend time alone with God every day. Right. You can make that decision. That's within your circle of influence. So don't get distracted with things that are outside of your... Anyway, so that might be encouraging. And then, uh, yeah, Dang. this book and all my books, you can find them at rcspirituality.org. Awesome. Father John Bartunic, thank you so much for joining us here where we feel very enlightened and I know our audience does. And you're welcome back on this show anytime. Wow. Thank you. Great work. Great to be with you. Thank you, Father. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Thanks one more time. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.